0: What up, Dose? This is Mike Posner. I am back in Los Angeles, home, after spending seven, eight days at Burning Man. And honestly, I am in a post-Burning Man depression right now. A little bit of withdrawal going on because that place is so special. Um... I find myself walking around my neighborhood wondering why there's trash on the ground. And why I can't hug strangers. And why when I try to give someone something, they look at me with skepticism. Trying to figure out what my ulterior motives are. why I can't tell strangers I love them. Imagine a society where not only is there no trash, there's no trash cans because everyone takes care of their own trash. Everyone picks it up. Imagine a place where you can hold out an empty cup to any stranger and they will literally fill it up with whatever they're drinking. Imagine a place where you can open your arms and someone's gonna hug you. People you never met before. Imagine a place, a city, where instead of there being a government building in the center of the city plan, or office buildings in the middle of the city plan. There is artwork. Imagine a place where people actually care about each other but not only that they express their care for each other by actually taking care of each other imagine a city where you feel like you can express yourself artistically Through your dress, through your action, through your sexuality, and not feel judged. I mean, really not feel judged. I mean, like, we talk about that a lot. This is a place where I can be me. Well, imagine a place where you can actually be you. And maybe you don't even know who you is. Imagine a place where you could figure out who you is. A place where you don't have your job. Your education doesn't matter. Your background doesn't really matter. You're just there. Who are you then? Who are you without your job? Who are you without your name? Who are you without your background? If no one around you cares about any of those things, then who are you? Well, I'm a financier from Boston. No, you're not. <laughs> I mean, even your name was given to you. It was made up by two other humans or maybe one other human. Who are you behind all that? Imagine a place where there's no money, where you can't buy or sell anything, but you've taken it upon yourself to have everything you need, and so people are just giving things to each other all the time to be nice, not to get something in return. Imagine a place where everyone has thought about something to give to others. And when they give something to you, they don't want anything back. I mean, that's a real hoot. You can't buy or sell anything. There's no corporations. There's no advertising. Your self-identification as a rich person or a poor person, or a middle class person, eh, gone. It's tough to imagine a place that encompasses all these things. But it exists. For one week every year. A city springs up in the middle of a Nevada desert and then it disappears until the next year. And it encompasses all these things. It is all these things that I just referred to and more. And I had several friends tell me before the first time I went to Burning Man, they'd say, Mike, just know that you don't know. Just know that you don't know. Now, as you listen to this, right, you're, you're drawing on experiences from your past to relate what I'm saying to Right. Oh, so this was kind of like that music festival, or this was kind of like that weekend at Joey's when whatever happened. But all of those things, the idea you have in your head about Burning Man right now is based on a million things that are not Burning Man, right? That's the interesting thing. So I can use my gift of gab and the art of the spoken language to get as close as I think I can to describe this place, but it's not really going to do it. You have to know that you don't know. So then you ask, Mike, what, what's the point of you doing this podcast, talking about this place that we can't really know through listening to this podcast? Well, as you know, the title of this podcast is, What Does This All Mean? And I'm interested in in using Burning Man as a conduit to continue asking that question. And make no mistake about it, to show up at Burning Man is to ask that question, whether you realize it or not. Because whoever you are in the world, it doesn't really matter there. You can't use your reputation as a crutch you can't use your wealth as a crutch your social identity is kind of wiped clean and you have to rediscover who you are so for me you know we've been very theoretical so far so let's let's talk about my experience right for me the first time i showed up at burning man 2015 i was very confused in my life because while I liked making music when I started As a child Here as A 27 year old Every time I'd make music I'd get rewarded With Money With attention from the opposite sex And with notoriety You know I got prestige Oh Mike Bosner <laughs> And I was very confused because I didn't know if I was still making music because I liked it or was I just in love with the attention from the opposite sex, the money, and the prestige, the notoriety. I mean, I really wasn't sure. Am I wasting my life? Am I selling out? Am I just doing this because people like me when I do it? And when I went to Burning Man, and I went there in my 90, I think it's a 94 Dodge Ram conversion van. So it's got like these bench seats in the back that fold into a bed. And I had a long beard at the time, as I do now. People didn't know who I was there. In fact, you know, there's a lot of loud music playing there, a lot of amplification. So, you know, to to have a guitar like I did and sing doesn't make you like the big man at Burning Man. You know, you're like a little troubadour. (laughs) And there I was, a musician whom no one recognized. And I would ride around on my bike with the guitar on my back and I'd play for people. And I received the gift of knowing that I still love music for music. I mentioned earlier that everyone brings something to Burning Man to give, right? So my first time, I, I bought these little knickknacks, I forgot, like, you know, face scarves or something and my plan was to sort of pass them out to people and i realized there that that was kind of bs that my gift was my music and that i had my guitar and so i would put this guitar on my back and i'd take my bicycle which I brought with me, and I'd ride around Burning Man, and especially around sunrise and sunset. And I'd find people that were watching the sunrise or the sunset. Especially sunrise, though, because it's cold in the night in the desert. And I'd find little couples maybe huddled around a fire or under a blanket, sometimes... Two sometimes six people And I'd ride up on them And I'd say hey you guys want to hear a song And they look at me a little skeptically Like okay this guy's probably going to suck This Hackered looking bearded man And I'd play them like, Tunes like Be As You Are And I took a pill in Ibiza And these kind of things And also I was able there Because I was so not worried about messing up I was able to write songs on the spot i mean i would create a chorus about the sunrise or something and then i'd freestyle the verse and was able to remember the chorus and bring it back then freestyle another verse and bring the chorus back again i mean it's amazing what i was capable of doing when i wasn't worried about messing up and so i'd play for people and then their jaws would kind of drop you know and they'd look at me and they go Wow, man, you got it. They'd say, when you leave here, you got to pursue music. And I'd smile because I'd been pursuing music, and <laughs> that was my job. Um, and every once in a while, after a show or a ninja show, someone would come up to me and say, you played for me at Burning Man. I didn't know who you were, but I figured it out later. And those are always great moments because when I was playing for those people, there was no attention from the opposite sex coming. There was no money coming, of course. And there was no real prestige coming, you know. I'm just going to leave. They're not going to like, I'm not gaining any like reputation by, by doing that at Burning Man but I still liked it. No, I still loved it. It felt good to give that gift away for nothing. Imagine a society built on that principle, giving things away with no expectation of receiving anything in return. That's a common misconception about Burning Man because people know that there's no money there. You can't buy or sell anything. So they assume, and people would tell me all the time, oh, so it's a barter system. It's not, it's explicitly not a barter system. It's a gifting system. And the difference is when you barter with someone, you give them something and they give you something back in return. In a gifting system, you give someone something with no expectation of getting anything back in return. And boy, what a difference that is. And it's a trip at first, because the first time someone gives you something, at least for me, someone gave me this necklace they had made, that they had made a bunch of to give out to people, and they gave me this necklace they'd worked hard on, and immediately I felt this urge within me in my gut like I was in debt to them and I need to give them something back. And I dealt with that, you know, for days there. Just learning how to receive. Just learning to say thank you. And really feel the gratitude of a necklace or whatever the gift may be. The drink, the candy, the food, the shade, the hug. Whatever it may be, whatever that person is gifting, the piece of art that they made. And that's a whole nother topic. The art is breathtaking. There are people there who spend their whole year making an art piece for Burning Man. And I don't know, they raise money through Kickstarters or whatever, but they're spending their whole year full-time making an art piece for Burning Man. And you walk there, or you ride around there, and you stumble on breathtaking pieces of art. I mean, sometimes art that stands 20, 30, 40, 50 feet tall. The first time I was there, there was a, a sculpture, if I could call it that, of a, of a beautiful woman towering woman i mean 35 40 feet tall and i couldn't understand how someone had gotten all the materials and assembled this thing in the middle of the desert and then had figured out how to light it and then was going to figure out how to make it all disappear and take it out of there I mean, it really blew my mind. And then I was going to sleep one night, and I was hanging with some people at my camp, and they said, have you seen the sculpture? Or the, I guess you call it a sculpture. It wasn't made out of stone. But they said, have you seen it breathe? I said, what are you talking about? It doesn't breathe. It stands still. They said, watch it for two minutes. Slow down, Mike. Watch it for two minutes. So later, I rode my bike back to the, huge towering woman piece of art and I wait and it's standing still and I thought oh, these people were full of it maybe they're on drugs I don't know what this thing ain't breathing but I thought slow down okay you know it's only been 60 seconds another minute passes I've, I've looked at this thing a bunch of times, It's you know, it's like my 10th time stopping to stare at it. I've never seen it move. I mean, I don't think this thing is moving. <laughs> so another minute passes, and I'm really thinking the person that told me this thing breathes is on drugs. And just as I'm about to turn away and leave and one of the bigger things I see <sighs> this entire piece of art inhales and exhales and I about lose it. I about lose it. How did this artist accomplish this or this you know team of artists more realistically? And not only that, what kindness and what compassion of them to spend their year constructing this unbelievable thing, this unbelievable piece of art, to figure out how to make it breathe and to receive no accolade whatsoever for it. I will never know that person's name or those people's names. They weren't standing next to their art. It was just there. They did it for me to enjoy. Imagine a city where everyone's living that way. And that's the thing about caring about other people is we say, oh, you know, you should take care of other people. Well, it seems like this huge, huge imposition on your life, right? Well, if I'm taking care of all these people, I'll have no time for me. But here's the thing that we don't realize is that if we all took on that mindset, that mode of consciousness of caring for each other, you'd have 7 billion people that had your back. Does that sound like an imposition on your life or a huge proponent of your life, a huge support system in your life? Well, the tricky thing is, if I take on that mode of consciousness, that way of being, and others don't, I get burned. And that's true. And it happens, it's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. But we can't let our fear of getting burned scare us away from caring about others. In fact, an ultimate display of courage would be someone who has gotten burned and still cares about others. I mean, these are the, these are the traits of the great humans. whom we look up to in Nelson Mandel's, Martin Luther King Jr's, Mother Teresa's. You think their giving was never preyed upon? That their kindness and care of others was never subverted by other people? I'm sure it was a million times over. But they continued to give their time, their life to other people. And so I've digressed a little bit. But one of the biggest gifts, okay, was realizing that, okay, we have our democratic system, our capitalist system. But here's this little oasis that exists within, right? Burning Man is in America. So it's out of our system that Burning Man was created and and grew into what it is today. But... It's sort of this oasis where instead of the hundreds and thousands of laws that we have, there's 10 principles, you know. Like radical self reliance is one of them. These are created by the Burning Man organization. Radical self reliance, you need to take care of yourself so, you know, you're okay. You have enough water, you have enough food, you take care of that. Leave no trace is one. And I mentioned this earlier. This is a remarkable thing about Burning Man. There are no trash cans anywhere. And when I say that, I bet you think, oh, so there's trash everywhere. Quite the contrary. In addition to there being no trash cans everywhere, no, excuse me, no trash cans anywhere, there is no trash anywhere. Because everyone picks up after themselves. And every once in a while, you'll see a little piece of loose trash, a, a zip tie, a piece of rebar, and you just pick it up. You put it in your pocket, and you put it in your trash pile, which you are going to take in your car out of Burning Man. So, I digressed again. Here is this oasis within our socioeconomic system that runs differently than our socioeconomic system. I mean, I had really accepted that our society was the way it was. And I would figure out a way to be happy and to create a life that I loved within that. I would navigate my way through our democratic capitalist system. But maybe that's not the best system. And I'm not saying it's a bad system. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm one of the, the the most privileged people in human history. I'm a white male in America. I mean, I it's a good place to live how I live, right? I have water. I have food. I'm not persecuted. I'm not complaining. But this isn't a knock on our system this is just inspiration that it could be even better i mean here's this place with like you know instead of our thousands of laws there's 10 then it works pretty damn good (laughs) i would even say it, it maybe works better you know here's the question if if I had to pick whether to raise my child in a suburban town outside of Detroit, which is where I grew up, or if it was an option, of course, Burning Man only exists, excuse me for a week, but if if it existed year round and I could raise my child there, what would I do? And it might sound crazy, but I think I'd I'd pick Black Rock City. I'd pick Burning Man. There was a night this week where my love, Megan, and I were riding through the playa at night. And the playa is kind of like a common, huge, huge common area in the middle of the city where there's no layout. It's just haphazard art and people riding bikes and um, the only kind of sign of direction is the, the huge man, the huge burning, the man that will be set on fire at the end as a guidepost. And we came upon another piece of artwork, this, this tree made out of metal and stained glass and wind chimes. We said, hey, there's the tree, let's go to it. So we come on this tree and there's sort of, uh, white um Christmas type lights hanging from it and we're looking at it enjoying it and all of it and this man approaches and he sort of says something about the tree to us and Megan asked did you are you the artist and he said there's 60 artists that worked on this and this wasn't a towering thing this was a you know it's probably Fifteen feet tall. It was beautiful, but it wasn't huge. Just to contrast with the, the woman piece of art that I referred to earlier. And he told us that sixty thousand man hours went into the making of this tree. And this wasn't a gargantuan piece of art like the the woman that I described earlier. This was, you know, it's maybe fifteen feet tall. I mean, it's beautiful, but it wasn't that big. And 60,000 man hours went into it. He said there were 60 artists. A team of 60 that worked on it. I mean, apparently a 1,000 hours each. (laughs) And as this man is telling us these sort of background facts about the tree, which, you know, the tree is designed after an actual tree that's 4,800 years old. And the point is, you know, what does that mean actually to be alive? And, you know, how does, how do you deal with time, you know, given the fact that this thing is that old and it's still alive? And as he's talking to Megan and I, I realized he's draped and his hair sort of is similar to the way the tree is designed and the way the way the wind hits it and he's draped in the same lights that are draped around the tree. And I realized that this artist, this man, is a part of this art piece. And he doesn't know it. He's just standing next to it, making sure that really he's there because there's fire involved and because there's fire involved in the piece, he has to make sure it's safe. And as I walked away, I looked back over my shoulder and I saw this man with this, this tree piece of art that was much bigger than him. And I thought, that's me and my music. The man is me and the tree, larger, more beautiful than the man. It's my music, if I do it right. And it was a beautiful moment. Now I shouldn't leave out that Burning Man is hard. And you're gonna be in the desert for a week. And you gotta make sure that you have shade, that you have enough water, because you can't buy none. You have enough food, because you can't buy none. And people will share, of course, you know, with you, but you don't wanna show up and not be prepared. And so, one of my favorite parts of Burning Man is, you know, I find myself doing manual labor. You know, we show up, and we have a camp that we camped with this year called The Hanging Garden. Shout-outs, G745. Shout-out, Jen. Shout-out, G. Shout-out, all the homies. All Miguel, Dean, Kim, Christian, everybody, Whitney, Sarah. Okay, okay, okay. There's more. But <laughs> Paulina. Oh, man. Um Miyoshi. Um, and our camp, we have a, we have a shade, two big shade structures that we build that other people can crash in, you know, when they're tired, and we put pillows in there to, to protect from the sun, and, you also know, get there, and I found myself, I'm hammering rebar in the ground, and I'm hanging lights, you know, I'm rigging things, and, you know, when, The generator on our little conversion van breaks. I'm out in the back messing around with the work gloves on and you know, building the outdoor shower and you know these are things, you know, I don't do. Everything's done for me. Mike Posner on tour, it's like, dude, if I say I want some almonds, it's like it's scary how quick the almonds show up. And honestly, I get spoiled. I get spoiled. And it's something I have to worry about because I don't want to become so detached from reality that I can't relate. And it's not a fun existence, and I worry about that, you know, to the people that are listening to this, which are, um, which are you, you know, you're listening to this, um. I don't want to get so far up in a castle somewhere that what i have to say doesn't relate to you and i want to stay in touch with my own humanity and i i can't tell you i i love putting the bike rack on the back of the car and you know driving out to utah the first time and taking the spare tire off the back so there's there's room for the bike rack and when the bike brakes all the time you know learning how to get the chain back on and you know oiling the pedals and things like that and changing the lights out on Megan's bike to make sure she's good these kind of things are just I feel good doing them but they're hard sometimes we're out there in the desert I mean it's north of 100 degrees we're working hammering you know and then we take it all down it's got to disappear and, and go out leave no trace um but going through that together with 80,000 other people, it brings you closer together. I mean, you know, think of anything hard that you've gone through with someone else. That person's your brother or sister now. You went through it together. The um, well, Burning Man's hard. And the weather's hard. But when you make it through there and you have that as much fun as you do, you you accomplish something, you know. And going there with my partner, Megan, that was a thing, too. You know, I sort of knew going in, it's like we it's a new relationship. We're going to come out of here, like, hating each other or very, very close. And our relationship will be in a new place. And it was the latter, thank God. Um, And, you know, one of the common sayings you hear at Burning Man is, you don't get the burn you want, you get the burn you need. You know? And so sometimes it's not always easy out there. You we'll have trouble in the heat, etc. But you learn about yourself. And you know, one of the things I learned this year is that I get a sort of subverted pleasure out of helping other people. And sometimes I'm not actually helping other people because I care about them, it's because I wanna be seen as the helper. And I really saw that about myself and I have to address that, you know, and there are times where that's appropriate and there are times where that's very inappropriate. You know, and that's about looking good. I would put looking good before someone who I really care about. You know, and that makes no sense. So, you know, that's one of the things I'm cognizant of from from this year's burn. And so there are a couple ways I want to end this episode. One is you know, I neglect, I neglected to mention this at the beginning of this episode. But I was back at Burning Man really because my father died. And I've you know, this is a theme of of this podcast in general, and of you know, this question, what does this all mean? Because when my father died I realized As you've heard me say, I had a list of things that I was going to do when I was done doing what I have to do. And you probably have one of those lists. And on my list, you know, were some of the things I've talked about, you know, spending a week alone doing the landmark form and also it was going back to Burning Man because when I did Burning Man the first time I remember saying I wrote it on Instagram I looked at it this was the best week of my life so why haven't I gone back oh I'll have time to do it later no you don't have time to do it later you don't know how much time you have and this is your life right now so if there's something you want to do you're planning on doing it later no 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 do it now You don't have much time. And especially if what you're planning on doing is something good that's going to help the world, that's going to help people that aren't you, we need you to do it now. Quit screwing around. This is your life. And if right now your life is doing a job or spending time doing something you don't actually care about, that's your life. You're spending your life doing things you don't care about. And if your life ends, that's all your life will be about. You don't know when it's going to happen. So that's one. And that's one ending note. And the second thing is, what can you dream of? I mean, look, these, these, I don't know who these people are that created this thing. I've watched the doc. I don't know much about them, but like, This was started by people like you and I, and they created, you know, people always say it's a music festival. It ain't a music festival. It's a city. It's a civilization that works on different basic principles, different tenets than our society works on, and in my opinion, works better. If they could dream that up, what could you dream up? What could you create? What could I create? You know, I'm talking to myself, too. I know there's there's bigger, more beautiful things I can contribute to this earth. I feel I have more in me. So let's do something. Together.